tell you, people that use AI, still, there's still a lot of work associated to it. It automates a lot of the simple stuff like templating, but it doesn't replace the human ability or knowledge base that's needed into it. You can go experiment with it, play with it, but even just force yourself for one or two questions a day, ask it, all right, how can I solve this? Welcome to BizCast Cradle Across, a weekly podcast from Biz News. We bring you news from the business community. I am your host and founder, Vicki Marcusin. My guest today, Rod Holum. He is the CEO of Cooley Tech, but he goes by the butt kicker of cybersecurity. So we have to explain two things. First of all, what drew me to you as a guest is your work with artificial intelligence. However, cybersecurity was where you started and it's all intertwined. But for the average listener, what is cybersecurity? So cybersecurity is making sure that hackers can't make you pay them so that way you get your data back. In in today's world, uh, the computers themselves are the low cost component of what you're doing. I often tell new clients that I'm working with, if I give you one choice where you have all of your computer hardware, but none of your data, so none of your databases, none of your emails, none of your policies and procedures, and I give you every piece of computer hardware you have back, but you don't get any data, or I have a, a USB drive with every piece of data you have, every policy, every sales quote, everything you have, but you have to go to Best Buy and buy all new equipment, what would you get? 99% of them will say, I need my data. I can buy new equipment. Mm-hmm. I can't recreate all my data for my entire business. So in our today's world, our data is a the actual component you're trying to protect. And it's what hackers try to lock up with ransomware attacks or exfiltration attacks. So we spend the majority of our time trying to understand what is it that hackers want and how do we make sure that they can't get it. Yeah, so it's someone saying, uh-oh, something, somebody got a weird email from me and I need to figure it out. And then you go to find a solution and someone wants money to fix that solution. Is that the same type of thing that we're talking about or is it more specific than that? 90% of all cyber breaches do come in through an email uh, attack because it's the most easy access into most businesses that, especially from a sales or customer service perspective, they're used to open up PDFs and files like that. And most of the end users or most of the thing that at the end of the day, you have to realize that a hacker is just a business person somewhere else in the country. They need to monetize whatever they're doing in some way. The easiest way now with the advent of Bitcoin is for them to lock up all your data and then tell you they'll sell you the key to it. Mm. And if you don't Hostage. do that, yeah. You know, so without the key, you can't access any of your data. So you're forced to recreate it. Got it. So you then started uh, talking about artificial intelligence out on, the, on social media and you wrote a book. So for people who are not paying attention, because to me, artificial intelligence is the buzz. What is artificial intelligence? How would you define it? So artificial intelligence comes with a number of different forms. Uh, Everyone has been using artificial intelligence for years. Uh, If you go on YouTube, you get your your videos all pre-curated to the type of stuff that you like, right? If you start looking at cute puppy pictures, all of a sudden, every one of your videos are a cute puppy picture. Whereas if you like any looking at CPA information or if you like business growth information, AIs have been in our life for a very long time, but they have been exclusively the domain of multi-billion dollar companies for the most part. When I became very interested in AI was probably around 2020 when AI started to come out of the reach of the multi-billion dollar companies and you started getting large language models and applications that can be used by day-to-day businesses, which where a lot of my clients are. So I guess I asked a lot, hey, can we integrate this AI or should we do this? And it was a very fascinating field for myself. So I spent a lot of time 
focusing just, all right, what can and can't small businesses use AI for? Yeah, it seems like almost everything is starting to incorporate AI. And I know probably about the same time that you started looking into it, I started using Otter, which is a transcription, basically hit record and all of a sudden you have a transcript and now it's getting, every time I go in there, it's more and more robust. Give me a summary of this. Give me highlights. And uh, and so they keep adding more and more. It's getting added to Microsoft. So any idea why this has exploded so quickly? Every time the new AI comes out, you gain capabilities for those that are actually developing the AI. So I believe it was in 2022, the head software developer for Tesla that does all their AI self-driving said that 80% of all the code that he writes is written by an AI, whereas only 20% of the code that he's writing. So that means that in one year, he's able to produce five years worth of software development now. So with that type of capability, you have extremely knowledgeable individuals that are now able to do five times what they used to. So then the next year, they go ahead and develop another piece of uh, AI software. Now all of a sudden, they're able to five times themselves again, and they keep. So the speed of increase in capability we're seeing from these come both from they learn more, they get more data access, they find new ways of solving what was their previous ceiling uh, from a capability perspective. And we will see moving forward for as far as until we get up to what's called AGI, which is a general intelligence of artificial general intelligence where then the AI themselves are writing the AIs that move forward. And then it'll be just really limited by how much electricity and processing power you have from what the capabilities are. But but yeah, I would anticipate seeing a five to 10 X improvement of AI year over year for the foreseeable future. Because what gets interesting about that is we were talking Hmm. earlier about pain points, right? Innovation happens where there's pain points. And in programming, a lot of times it's the programmers having enough programmers And so the programmers have figured out how to, let's just say, replicate themselves. And now it's really the innovation that's happening. So which of the programmers are innovative enough to say, now that we have enough programmers, where can we take this? So where, since you're monitoring this, where is there a particular area where you have seen the most innovation? Language models over the last year or two have become the the most disruptive, I would say. And that's where you'd see GPT or Google Bar that's coming out or even Copilot. And language models I often equate to, it's basically a room full of a bunch of college level English professors. They can write perfectly. They can do that. Their limitations comes in and that uh, they don't do math correctly, right? If you gave advanced physics to a room full of college English professors, they might not be excellent. Now they could write a book on it. And as long as they had someone to tell them information, they could write it out perfectly. Same with policy and procedures. They know English rules. They know English languaging, but they don't have the real world knowledge of those other fields from a practical perspective. So language models are the big ones that when people say AI, it's normally what they're referring to. And especially from a business world of what can they actually use today? Language models are 99% of what I'm talking to business owners with from an implementation perspective, what they can do, what's uh, shovel ready today. And the realms that I've heard it talked about are, is this going to replace workforce? And then the other one is, how does education work with this? Because you have a lot of students who would love to use that or probably are using that for their homework. So let's tackle those one at a time. Where do you think artificial intelligence is going to impact the workforce? So I would uh, first go back to when the calculator came out, everyone thought mathematics was dead, right? That didn't happen. We actually gained the ability to do much more advanced math because now we have a calculators that 
it opens up those math fields to even more people or people learn how to do math faster. When the internet came out, everyone thought the internet was going to destroy all the people that are using it as good, or they just thought it was completely worthless, where now we couldn't use our, do our job without it. In the early 2000s, we had Wikipedia came out where from an education perspective, I was like, don't ever go ahead and use Wikipedia, right? Whereas now we use Wikipedia all the time just to give us a general idea. AI, you're going to find the same type of thing from a language model perspective. And what it is, it's in the book that I have, but the phrase that I like to tell people when I'm talking about it is that AI will not replace any of your jobs any more than the internet replaced it, than a calculator replaced it. What will replace your job are people using AI, just like people that are using the calculator or people that are uh, using the internet. One of the areas that I want to make sure we touch on, and maybe we move this impact question from people who are older, who are out of the workforce and go, I don't really need to know what artificial intelligence is. How do you see artificial AI impacting people who are out of the workforce? Scams are probably the biggest way that they're going to be impacted from that. There was a case last year where the grandmother in Texas got a call that her grandson was in jail and needed $5,000 for a lawyer. Otherwise, he was going to be put into jail. And what happened was that some hackers went online, went to Facebook or Twitter or one of the social medias that are out there, took voice from the student, from the student and then put it through an AI and then made a phone call. And they were perfectly emulating the pitch, the tone of that grandson as they were talking to the grandmother and got information back. And you're going to see from a cybersecurity perspective, we deal with this a lot because up until probably two years ago, we were always saying, well, just do a phone call to verify that's who you, they actually wanted to. And then that's a good to go. Now we're moving into a world where even phone calls themselves can't be trusted. And it makes it very interesting from a cybersecurity perspective, but especially like I, I think of my own grandmother that if she got a call from one of the grandsons or granddaughters, she would just believe it's who it is because we, we're just not trained to think that someone I can actually talk to can't happen. And even in the next couple uh, months or years, we're going to see video where if you could have a, a Teams meeting with someone and the person on the other side of it actually isn't there, they're their full AI, but uh, you, with enough video, you can emulate their uh, posture, their speech tone there. So you can't even believe video chats that you're having with the real person are the real person. So I would say from a scam perspective, that's the biggest concern those out of the workforce are going to have to become educated on what are the capabilities of AI so they can be cautious about them. And it's interesting as you say that, because in my head, I think, well, yeah, that's those like silly avatars that you can do on your iPhone, right? It it mimics your facial gestures. You can put whatever graphic is there. So that technology is here. We were just talking again before I hit record here about there was a news story about the president's voice being on a robocall. And, and what's your prediction as to how quickly, let's just say, the unethical behavior will start to ramp up? I think, unfortunately, this election season is going to be a very, you're going to have a lot of fake news and things like that out, out in the world that they're going to have robocalls from and Donald Trump's going to call you, Biden's going to call you, your governor's going to call you. And I would almost say the majority of the time, it's not going to be the real person that's there, but it's going to sound like them. You're going to be able to talk with them. You can be able to ask them questions and they're going to respond and answer back as if it was actually legitimate. And even though the person on the other line isn't, and it's because they have billions of dollars at stake uh, based off who gets elected, right? Mm -hmm. So with those type of campaign dollars, you can build some pretty elaborate AI systems using off the shelf or open source information or software 
that can emulate this type of stuff. And it costs pennies, not dollars. Of, and it's trained perfectly. The first, once you get it trained, basically, it can do it a million times as opposed to like human cold callers. You have to train each one individually. If they leave, you have to retrain. There's a training cycle. Mm -hmm. AI, you don't have that. Once you get it right, it's good to go. This is going to be crazy. It's just going to be It's already crazy. And now you add an AI component in, it's going to be even crazier. So where do you see there being an ethics piece to this? Ethics is a, a very interesting uh, side of it because uh, some of you have to determine which ethical framework would you ultimately be using, right? You have the uh, Hippocratic Oath from doctors where do no harm. So they're going to go do everything they can to save. But you go to the military, it doesn't have that, doesn't comply with that same type of ethic. They have a different ethical framework. And I think every industry is going to have different ethical frameworks that their industry leaders are going to determine. And, uh, and even today, we have that in journalism has a different mm -hmm. ethical framework than doctors, than IT and lawyers. And so every one of those bodies that manage and regulate those ethical boundaries are going to create processes that are going to determine that. As far as all the ethical standards, for the most part, identify like lying is wrong, deceiving is wrong basically general ethical ones that any ethical frame, most ethical frameworks or any that we'd actually consider worth pursuing would uphold. And you're going to have unethical actors in the spaces that are going to subvert that. And we have to be educated enough to know what can AI do and watch out for pieces of software or in short, have a healthy level of skepticism about almost everything that we see or read to know, was it, is this actually true? And just because I can see it on 10 different sites doesn't make it true because AI can put it on 10 different sites. So you can put it on 100 different sites. Does that answer your that question? It, there? it does, but it's mind blowing at the mm. same time. And some of this is hopefully regulated by the software that's incorporating it. And I gave you the example, like I use AI for this podcast. It transcribes it. I delete words. And I can also replace words with my own voice just by typing. However, the software says, you can only do it for your voice. You can't do it for anyone else's. So I can't, I literally can't put words in your mouth. <laughs> Hopefully there's some regulation that's happening with the software itself. And we, let me go back to impacts. We talked about even people that are outside of the workforce, this has an impact to them. We touched briefly in terms of where this will impact the workforce. Do you see certain areas that this will not replace? Like large, I myself, from a, an overall AI perspective, I think every industry will get impacted from the next five years. Language models specifically, which is your GPTs or the things that are doing knowledge-based work that if you're using like keyword and mouse to perform it, language models are going to severely or in, enhance the capabilities of people doing that significantly. And the people are going to get left behind are those that kind of put their head in the sand and just like, I'm never using AI. I've heard it's not correct. And that's a common, I guess, rebuttal I hear. I hear it can give fake stuff. But have you ever talked to any individual that you wouldn't believe they could maybe be wrong? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we know well, any person I'm talking to, that person has a possibility of being wrong. But yet we hold AI to a standard that, well, unless it's 100% correct in every scenario, I don't ever want to use it. And I would really encourage just to treat AI like you would any human. Use a healthy level of skepticism. You uh, find out what is it good at, what isn't it good at, and learn how you can use it for one. So you know what could I improve my own job with? Because all of our jobs are going to be determined by how effectively we use AI. Uh, 
And two, you need to know another scenario, hiring, I I talk to a lot of HR directors and both on the hiring side and uh, people looking for a job. But there was one I was talking with at the Department of Health and Human Services where they had a candidate that they thought was just a rock star. Like they're, they were ready at the end of this interview, they're going to go ahead and offer them the job, right? It was just perfect for it. They brought him in. And what they realized after an in-person interview that this person had no idea what they were talking about, but they had used AI to write the cover letter, to research the uh, hiring director, to go ahead and look at the job post and rewrite their resume. So that way it matches the job post and then submitted that. So they looked on paper like a rock star. And then any questions, employment questionnaires or things that were done remotely, they just used AI to go ahead and get the answers to them. So the answers, again, are perfect. So until you got to a face-to-face perspective, you had no idea this person here knew nothing. And you're going to, from a hiring perspective, and if you're looking for a job, it's worthwhile knowing is that AI resumes and AI cover letters, because larger firms, they use AI to screen applicants. Mm-hmm. So the AI, you can tell the AI that, all right, I'm looking for this job. Can you hire, can you make it so that way the keywords inside this cover letter and this resume are going to flag well within an AI screening system and it will rewrite it so that way it will get to the top of the list. So it's, you, you have to play the game on both sides of it. Whereas if you're like, I just want to do authentic cover letters and that's fine, but you're disadvantaging yourself because the AIs that are reading that are not going to put you up even potentially to get a first callback. So crazy. Like you've removed the human part of applying for a job. And so you have this individual, I don't want to reiterate what you just said, but I'm sure that is eye-opening for all of the HR people going, how many interviews do I now have to do to find the truly qualified individuals? We're going to have to create AI to weed out the AI. So what we've done at Cooley Tech is obviously at first, that was one of the first use cases I saw. It's like all of it. If you ever applied a job at Cooley Tech, the job description is written by an AI and, and it does a great job. At mm-hmm, it it uh, does. So we have questions on there on the initial applicants that I think someone should know. Now, if they use an AI, they'd find it out as well. The first interview is actually a skills assessment because, uh, and we let them use AI during the uh, skills assessment, Google, because I just want to know, all right, can you get the answer? And what is your problem solving capabilities? And if AI is part of your problem solving capabilities, I'm fine with that. I just want to see how can you actually, I'll give them a problem and all right, come up with a solution at the end of it. But I think from a hiring perspective, if we're going to focus on that one specifically, we need to redo the hiring process, which actually takes more people, not less, because you need to do more skill assessments and less automation from a pay. So it's going to be a continual arms race that HR departments ought to implement AI to automate the sifting through of all the hundreds of documents. And then on the consumer side, they created AI that tricked that AI and to get them to the top of the list. Yeah. So now you're back to where, well, if it, what was the world like before you had any of those systems? You had actual people face-to-face meeting on there. And it's a unique instance where AI is actually forcing more people-to-people interaction and less automation, which is a interesting paradigm if you think about it. Right. Yes. And until the video AI starts to catch up, right? And then you don't know if you're actually on a video call with an actual person. And yeah. Then you'll have to do in person. And then you'll have to do in person. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it was interesting along this thought process this week, I just had a speaker on AI talk about how they have a policy on use of of AI in the workforce and they wanted to encourage it. It was trying to define when to use it and when not to use it. And so from a employer standpoint, 
embracing AI, what do you foresee that that looks like? What do you recommend for companies? It's a twofold question. One is you have to have the proper protections in place, and that comes from a employee education perspective. You can't put HIPAA data inside of it or non-public information or PHI information, personal health information or any, any type of data that needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be in these language models because these language models are all training themselves to make themselves better off the data that you're putting in there. So you could be inadvertently given your competitor all your information if they know how to be creative enough to extract it. Interesting. However, you can depersonalize that information. An example is, uh, let's say I was an HR director and I had an employee named Rod Holum that was just, I needed discipline. You wouldn't say, Rod Holum did this. He lives at this address. You say employee 193 or you depersonalize Rod Holum with just some ID because the AI doesn't care if it has a name or a number or whatever unique distinguisher you're going to put on it. Depersonalize it. As long as the employees know to depersonalize that information, I don't think there's really any limit on what you shouldn't do. You're really just handcuffing your employees. And I know I work with a number of companies that have strict limits on their employees' AI usage. I also know some of the employees that are working at those companies, they just go ahead and use it on their phone or they go ahead and create. Your, your employees are using it. You can say all day long, you don't want them to. They're, they are. Students, they're using it. You're not going to stop these type of innovations any more than you stop the internet from working or any of the innovations that happened behind. We have to learn how can we use these, how to, what are the incorrect and incorrect ways with realistic examples on why that is and isn't correct. Yeah, and it's interesting because I had done a post, I think, saying we there. there's a lot of discussion happening in ed- education in terms of it's the math that your analogy is spot on, right? So it's the math fear. Oh, they're not going to know how to do math if we give them the calculator. So that being said, it's here. It's mm-hmm. being used. There's really no way to tell if it's being used easily, at least from a teacher perspective. And so my post was, we have to embrace this because the next generation is going to be the one that helps us all take it to the next level. And so we're trying to suppress something that, in my opinion, is inevitable. But let me ask you, the expert. So you have this next generation, you know how quickly they grasp technology. How rapidly do you see this changing? You you talked about five years. What does 10 years, 15, 20 years look like, do you think? So five years, I think we're going to have a world that's almost indistinguishable from what we're seeing today. So that's the type of level, like uh, we're going to talk robotics and language models and the AGI, all those things combined. From an educator perspective and I have kids in uh, high school and uh, about ready to go into the world. The world that they're moving into is going to use AI as much as we use uh, Internet today. You and I are old enough that we remember the Dewey Decimal System and mm-hmm. looking at file cards yep. and stuff like that, right? Yep. And our teacher told us how critical it is to do that, that even when the Internet came out, you're still going to have to go back to the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. I don't even know if the library has the Dewey Decimal System anymore. <laughs> they do, right? but right. yes. They do. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's how you find the books that are actually in the bookshelf. So, yes. All right. All right. But. If you're doing a research on a project, more likely than not, you're actually using the internet. Now, library, uh, not necessarily you're looking up books or something. I suppose I'll get in trouble if I go too far down there. So <laughs> we'll just deviate from there. Um, most, at least in the business world, most research on what product, what what options, capabilities, stuff like that, are all done from an e, uh, from a web search capability. Yeah. And two years. Almost all that research will be done from an AI perspective because mm-hmm. I can already right now, an interesting use case was I was speaking to a, a healthcare provider who works with patients going through uh, drug and rehab type 
Mm-hmm. So they had a patient that was going to drive down to Chicago and back. It's very important for someone in rehab to make sure that they're hitting their AA meetings. And so what they did is they put into Google chat or I'm sorry, Google Bing chat. So Bing chat, which okay. is now co-pilot okay. that I have a patient going from say Minneapolis, St. Paul to Chicago on this date, leaving at eight o'clock. Can you show me AA meetings on the way down? And it came back with five AA meetings, one in Toma, two in Madison, you know, one, one in Chicago about the time that they'd be along that hit track, which was, a, it was a, I had never even considered using AI in that type of format, but mm-hmm. from a research perspective and capabilities perspective, that's, that's the new Google search. And Bing chat is one of the forefronters from live search data, like ChatGPT is much more powerful from a data perspective, mm-hmm. but it's data is three to six months old. Whereas Bing chat has live today data because it starts out all of them with an actual search and then use AI to summarize that search for you. So the world that uh, our graduates are walking into is going to be entirely AI driven and employers will, in my opinion, either see that and start embracing that or their competitors will see it, embrace it and put them out of business. And it's interesting because that was just explained to me this week, the difference between some of the platforms of you have a platform. My understanding is like chat GPT learns from use. And so the more it gets used, the more it learns. And others, like you just explained it, are going out to the Internet and finding information and kind of summarizing it and bringing it back. Is that accurate? Yep. Okay. And so obviously two very different models. And just as we think chat GPT is the leader right now, something else is going to come out and it's going to the platforms are going to keep changing and probably building off of each other, like taking information from one and building off of it. And so how do we as individuals not fear this? Like we all joke again, you and I are old enough to know the Terminator movies, Mm -hmm. right? And we're like, oh, that's never going to happen. And here we are. So how do we not fear this? I think forcing yourself to use it in some way, even if you completely hate AI, right? My wife is a great example. She'll use it. She's finally used this as an example, right? She loves writing. She loves the music. She loves art. And the idea that ChatGPT can make a painting, can go ahead and write or any of that, she just despises. Like, uh, you know, she does. You You've know? taken the art out of the artistry. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a way, right? Whereas myself, I have a very low written capability as far as my, my writing is probably closer to a seventh or eighth grader than I am a college, mm-hmm. let alone a business owner where AI empowers me to be able to speak at a level that is probably closer to my knowledge and capabilities than it would be if I didn't have that or I'd always have to have. If anyone, any of your listeners have ever gotten an email from me, they're laughing their head off right now because they remember like, he didn't even capitalize any of the stuff there. <laughs> and just, he misspelled four letter words. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So that I would say, regardless of what your own personal opinion on it is, gaining experience with it, because what it will do is it will show you that it isn't AI isn't at a point where you can say, hey, please make me a sales plan and make me a ton of cash. And then all of a sudden it just goes and does this stuff. And all of a sudden money shows up in your bank. Right. That'd be amazing. But be yes. Amazing, right. And yes. If you watch too many YouTubers, they're going to tell you that's what it does. Of course. Right? Yes. It, it they have do. the key to it. Yeah, it's yeah. like a whole different cyber scam. So, yeah, yeah it really is. <laughs> but until you use it, you don't see that. So you hear anyone uses AI, your immediate knee jerk reaction is they didn't do anything. Right. I can tell you people that use AI still there's still a lot of work associated to it. It automates a lot of the simple stuff like templating. But it doesn't replace the human ability or knowledge base that's needed into it. And without 
any experience in it, you're not going to know the difference between those two things. So I would say just force yourself. And Bing Chat is a good one. It's a free one. You can go experiment with it, play with it. But even just force yourself for one or two questions a day, ask it, all right, how can I solve this? How can I do this? Just to get experience with it. So you're at least educated on the topic. Yeah. And it's interesting as you say that, because I still go back to, okay, the retirees, right? So there were the classes of how to use the internet. There's probably going to be classes on how do you use AI? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would. Um, I don't know if the uh, tech college is doing one of those yet, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon. They just got an idea. Yeah. So that would be a, but they can also just go on to like YouTube and I guess TikTok, I don't do a lot on that, but I hear the young folks do. And uh, <laughs> you can just search those type of platforms and they will give you step-by-step instructions on almost anything. Like anyone who's watched the movie, The Matrix, and they're like, all right, do you know how to fly a helicopter? Like, nope, but you go and learn it quick and then you do. That's really, for the most part, what YouTube is for us these days. If you want a quick, hey, how can I do it in five minutes? You can find a three to five minute video to do mm-hmm. almost anything. Mm-hmm. In AI, there's a billion people out there making, uh, especially if you're at the point where you've done nothing at all, right? Once you get into the business world, then you want to know, I would say from the business world, uh, uh, like we, we host a monthly workshop for that, or they get the book or there's a, there's, or just find some type of peer group that you can show, Hey, here's what I've learned. This works well. And what, what have you learned? Cause most of my knowledge comes from talking to different business leaders and just seeing, I never thought about using it that way. That's a unique way. And the more tools I get in my toolbox, well, then I can go ahead and build bigger and bigger use cases for it. So that's a great segue to talking about your workshop and your book. And the book came first. So what caused you to say, I want to write a book on this? So Aaron, has, he's a co-author of the book with mm-hmm. me, and uh, he heads up our Eau Claire branch of uh, Cooley Tech. So him and I were talking last year. We, were, we had written a couple books. So we did one on cybersecurity uh, in 2022, and we used that most of 2022 and 2023. And we were talking about doing a cyber compliance book. but. As we were talking about doing that, we'd get more and more requests to speak on AI and more of my clients were far more interested in talking about AI than there were cybersecurity compliance. And I'm like, cybersecurity compliance is important, but sure, we can do this AI stuff. So after talking to a number of our clients, we just decided that there's a lot more interest from the community on the AI and how can business use it. And there's a lot of misinformation almost out there, like fears you mentioned, phobias. And most of the fears and phobias come from people who have never actually used AI or haven't actually given it, haven't tried it. So we created the book. Like, all right, if I was sitting down with a, a, it's geared towards business leaders, but if I was going to sit down with a business leader and I wanted to spend, I don't know, a, a week where they'll spend an hour a day and just go and do an actual workshop, what would they do? So this starts you out with Bing Chat. It's free. You can go ahead. It gives you a bunch of prompt uh, attempts to, so you can get some different use cases for it. We show different examples for you. We show, and we also interviewed five different uh, business leaders in the community on how are they using it from a day-to-day perspective. Yep. So the name of the book is Wisconsin's AI Leadership Blueprint for 2024 AI Playbook, Real World Use Cases and Workbook Training for Leaders. And then you have a workshop that I'm I'm guessing addresses a lot of the topics that are in this book. Yep. Yeah. We had our first one this morning. We had about 15 people show up to it. And uh, yeah, it it was a great discussion. We talked, gave some examples on, we went through the one that we talked about earlier was both creating a cover letter as well as how can you as an employer go ahead and create a post and review those with AI and how do you need to do that? Showed some of the people there, here's how these uh, young folks are going and creating their cover letters and this is why they're scoring so well in your AI systems. 
And here's what you need to do to change that. So we, we went through a lot of different use cases and every month, like next month, one of the things that they wanted is a co-pilot, which anyone hearing is starting to see that pop up all throughout your Microsoft suite. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be doing a deeper dive into how can you use co-pilot and what is it? And for the your listeners, that's really just ChatGPT 4.0 embedded right into the Microsoft suite, so Microsoft Office suite or 365 suite, whatever they're used to calling that. So we'll take a deeper dive into that. We want to look at uh, Google Bards a little bit more. We didn't spend a lot of time on it this morning. And then just a, really a workshop time. So I want the participants coming to come with some type of use case that they're trying to solve within their business. So a lot of the individuals that were there were from some of the larger employers here that their leadership were telling them, look, tell us how we can actually employ this. Because every single software you're talking about is talking about, hey, I have this brand new AI, which is a great marketing word, but word, but how do you actually like, all right, what do I actually do with it? And how does it actually make my life better? Yeah, absolutely. And how often do those workshops meet? Once a month. And is there a pattern to them? I think it's a third or fourth Friday of the month. Is a so it's on a Friday morning. So got I, it. That, that the next one's February twenty third. I yeah, saw that. Yeah, that, let's start with that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the last Friday of every month is what we have it scheduled for right now. Okay, but some depends. On, so we're we got a number of our clients up in Eau Claire that wanted us to do one as well. So in February we're starting one in Oak, Eau Claire and La Crosse, and then March we'll have one in Menominee and La Crosse. So the La Crosse one we'll do every month. And then we'll probably rotate between Menominee and Eau Claire with the Eau Claire one. And that's at your location in Holman? Yep. What's the address? 18 Granary Drive, Holman, Wisconsin. Got it. So it's you a, just drive there. I haven't even remember the address. Yeah, we just built it last year. So <laughs> yeah, we just got moved that's right. In and, but yeah. it, it's easy to find. It's the one with the solar panels on the top. So. Yeah. Well, congrats on building. So yeah, if people want to know more, it seems like this is the place to go to actually ask questions, get some applications, get some tips in terms of how to apply it uh, and um, where people can take it. Yeah. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. Okay. Let me do the. Oh, I have my common closer question. Hi. My common closer question is, what makes you passionate about what you do? An example is a couple of days ago, there was a client that called us up and they were facing a million dollar ransom that, uh, and they, they had no backups. Like, rarely in the IT field do you go walk in and be a Superman, right? Yeah. But, uh, use case like that. Uh, so we were able to go in there and after about four hours, we were able to recover all their data and uh, get us that way. They can basically tell the hackers, forget it. I don't want to talk to you. No, that doesn't happen all the time, right? And, uh, and the clients that are, we've never had a single one of our clients that are underneath our protection or anything like that ha- get ransomware. It's always, but... It happens if you don't have the proper protection in place. So one is knowing that the protection that we have in place are actually protecting clients from ransomware. And when the clients do get ransomware or people we've talked to in the past, when they get ransomware, be able to go in there and give our best effort to try recovering. And so far, I think we're at 100%. But eventually, I'm sure we'll hit one that we're not going to be able to. But So getting ahead of that would be critical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really relate it to, if you're talking about a fire protection system, it's a lot easier before a fire than after a fire to protect you. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to be in that situation. So Rodney Holm, CEO of Cooley Tech, is my guest this week. Thank you for listening to BizCast Greater Lacrosse. We will catch you next week. 